Our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel according to John in the third chapter, beginning right at the start of the chapter. And I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version this morning. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He was the leader of the Jews. And he came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. No one could do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? Very, very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what you, we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, and just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Unsettling God, this morning, once again, you are calling us out. You are calling us out of our preconceived notions, out of our biases, and out of safety into the risky excitement of being in ministry with you. Meet us this morning and walk with us. Amen. So throughout Lent, our theme is exposed. In our weekly email blasts and on Facebook and Twitter and in our newsletter and our sermons and our adult education and this big monstrosity that is hanging up on the screen, we are going to ask questions about what this idea of being exposed might mean for us as individuals and as a community. So I want you to take just a second and I want you to just think about it. What do you think about when you think of being exposed? Does it feel like a good thing? Does it feel like a bad thing? Yeah, it's not, it's not too good. In the most simple terms, to expose something just means to uncover it. Nothing scandalous, nothing dramatic. But actually, most of the ways we use the word exposed suggest a lot of vulnerability, don't they? Her motives were exposed the investigation exposed a whole series of improprieties, or our renovation exposed a problem with the foundation. I might suggest this morning that the word exposed becomes scarier 
the more we feel we're trying to keep hidden. So this morning and over the remaining Sundays in Lent, we have accepted the challenge as a community to start bravely looking at some of the things we might prefer to keep hidden. What needs to be unveiled? What needs to be talked about? What needs to be exposed? Last week, we looked at the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, and Pastor Clark pointed out a few important features of that story. For one thing, the fact that Jesus faced temptation at all speaks to his humanity. He faced temptation just as we do, and he was able to stare down the false promises of power, privilege, and self-gratification to focus on building God's kingdom. We also observed that there were no eyewitnesses to Jesus' temptation, so the fact that it's in Scripture means that Jesus had to be willing to talk about those struggles so that his disciples might understand what it means to face temptation. I hope you had a chance this past week to reflect a little bit more on that story, and if you've had any thoughts or insights that you want to share, I'd love to talk with you more about it. I think these kinds of conversations are always great ones to keep open. Now this morning, we have an opportunity to learn from a different character in a different gospel. Our scripture today came from the gospel attributed to John, and of the four gospels in the Bible, it appears last and it was also written last. We talk a lot about the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but John really kind of stands alone and it has a lot of unique attributes. Scholars believe it was written around 90 or 100 CE, so that's almost 100 years after Jesus' death. The author uses a number of literary devices to clue us in to what that community believed was truly important about Jesus' life and ministry. The central figure in our reading this morning was Nicodemus, who appears three times in John's Gospel, but nowhere else in the Gospels. So we read first that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Why does the author choose to tell us this? It turns out that the idea of darkness and light is really important to the author of John. John uses these ideas of dark and light to let us know who understands and who's still struggling to tell us who lives life out in the open and who still has something to hide. So we might suggest, for one thing, that Nicodemus doesn't really want people to know that he's visiting or talking to Jesus. When I hear a story that opens with someone coming by night, I have to ask myself if that someone doesn't really want to be seen. A few other things are notable right away. Nicodemus, for one thing, is a believer. He isn't skeptical about who Jesus is. He doesn't doubt the signs that Jesus has done. He acknowledges right out loud and right away that he believes Jesus has been sent by God. Nicodemus is a church leader. He holds a high position. He's a teacher himself. He has status. But as the story unfolds, we realize pretty quickly that Nicodemus doesn't get it. He's an almost comical figure. I almost imagine this like a biblical cartoon. Apparently, he's confused that Jesus is suggesting that an adult human should be pushed back in the womb so they can be born again. Given this bizarre exchange, it seems plausible to me that we are also supposed to understand that Nicodemus is figuratively in the dark. Here we have a believer with some status in the church. He's educated, he's a teacher, and he's clueless. 
As I was preparing for this morning, I was particularly struck by verse 11 with Jesus speaking. He says, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, yet you don't receive our testimony. This suggests to me that as Christians, we hear the testimony of God's action in the world, we see the reality of God's presence all around us, or at least we could see the reality of God's presence all around us, but somehow it doesn't always get through. We're believers, we hold positions, we have status, we dress the part, but like Nicodemus, we're kind of in the dark sometimes. Jesus continues on that one must be born of both flesh and the spirit. He says, the wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. Now we are rational creatures and we want to grasp onto rational formulaic statements about truths that actually kind of defy explanation. And sure enough, Nicodemus, rational creature that he is, says, what? And Jesus says again, Nicodemus, here you are, a teacher, a leader, a religious expert on top of the church heap, and you still don't get it. I think there's an uncomfortable lack of security in this passage because we would prefer salvation that we can control. We would prefer a predictable roadmap for following Jesus. We would really prefer to think that we get it. But we probably don't always get it. And I think we can take heart in this story because even when we approach Jesus in the dark, when we're afraid or reluctant or maybe we don't want anyone to see us, Jesus still meets us. And when we completely fail to see the kingdom of God all around us, Jesus meets us because God didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, this would be a nice, safe place to wrap up and say amen, and we could all spend the week feeling appreciative of the generous gift of God's grace, and I hope that you will spend the week feeling appreciative of the generous gift of God's grace, but we're not going to wrap up in a nice, safe place, because I think there's a more challenging message here for us this morning. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live my life in the dark. I want to live my life out in the open, exposed, if you will, even if that comes with some risk or insecurity. So as we consider for a few minutes what that means, I want to share with you a few additional verses that follow the reading we heard this morning. They're not in the lectionary, but I think they're important for us. We heard verse 17, that God didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. But then the text continues with this. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already. And I want you to bear in mind that the Greek for believe can mean a lot of different things. So we might read this as saying something like, those who invest in God are not condemned, but those who don't invest in God, they're in trouble already because they haven't invested in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light. For all who do evil hate the light, and they don't come into their light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come into the light, so that it can be clearly seen that the deeds they do have been done in God. I want to suggest to you this morning that those important verses tie very closely into what we talked about last week. The need to face temptation boldly, to stand on the truth, 
and to speak those struggles out loud so that they can be overcome. And I think that as Christians, honestly, we're pretty well aware of what this looks like for us as individuals. But what I think we often, what we often forget is that this is a calling that is also placed on us as a community. We have to follow a similar pattern of facing temptation, standing on the truth, and speaking out loud about the things that we struggle with as a community in order to grow together in faith. It's hard. We don't always want to disclose our darkness. We don't really want to admit what pulls us off track. We don't want to talk about what we're afraid of. We don't want to talk about what makes us feel insecure. It's rooted, I think, in a hesitance to be vulnerable. But that unwillingness to be vulnerable is costly. It costs life. In our passage this morning, Jesus doesn't just make a casual recommendation about coming into the light. He makes an imperative statement about what it actually looks like to live. If we actually want to live as a community, the kind of life we call eternal life, eternally minded life, we have to be willing to step into the light to become part of this cycle of vulnerability and transparency, bringing our truth out into the open, being exposed. It's not just a matter of convenience. It's a matter of life and death. So how do we, as a community of faith, get ourselves out of the dark and into the light of being truly alive? I'm going to give you a few quick things to think about with the comment that we do a lot of this already. It's just a continuing process of growing together. But I would suggest to you that this is a conversation that really has to continue in our life as a church. It's a conversation that happens around the church council table and in our committee meetings and in our discussions with each other. I think a healthy first step is to be honest about our fears and insecurities and speak the truth about the things that hold us back as a community. We need to be able to say things like, that's a great mission project, but I'm a little afraid to go there. Or I know we should be moving in that direction, but it's just not the style of music, sermon, education, scripture, translation, liturgy, worship that I like. Or we want to be an open community, but sometimes they mess up our carpet, paint, walls, bathrooms, facilities. Or I know we should be doing something about that, but I'm just not sure everyone would like it. I will caveat that speaking this kind of truth always requires that we speak that truth with love. But there is real value in being willing to be honest about what holds us back. It's a healthy place to start. Second, we have to get in the habit of being risk takers. And I'm going to say that again because it's something I say a lot, but maybe I need to say it more strenuously sometimes. We have to get in the habit of being risk takers. If nothing in the life of our community has us on edge, I think we should be worried about that. If we aren't doing anything that makes us a little anxious or stretches us as a community or has us feeling a little uncertain about how things will turn out, then I would suggest to you that we haven't yet left the safety of the darkness to follow Jesus out into the desert. In order to follow Jesus, we have to be willing to experience fear without bowing to it. Ministry is risky business. It calls us out into the wilderness, into places where we feel vulnerable and where we are not always completely in control. And I want to suggest a third thing this morning, and it's that we can't be paralyzed by fear of conflict. Great ideas are sometimes controversial ideas. 
Jesus was kind of a controversial guy. He got in about an argument a day as I read through scripture. So where are we called to go next? How is God calling us out in a new way? God never just leaves us to sit in the dark, unchanged or clinging to old ways of thinking. God is always calling us out of the darkness into the light to expose our fears so that we can overcome them and follow Jesus with our whole heart. This is the life to which we are called as a community. Amen.